Welcome to the Elevated Action Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Musgrove. Today we have a great conversation with Jay Salstrom, six-time AMA Pro Hill Climb champion and one of the brave athletes who could tame a nitro bike on some giant hills. We hope you enjoy this episode. All right, we're with Jay Salstrom out of Minnesota right now. Jay, how you doing today? Not too bad. Can't complain. Staying, uh, staying busy, but nice to get on here and uh, talk about some dirt bike stuff and kind of get away from this crazy world we're living in right now. Yeah, definitely. It's been a, a wild past six months. Nobody would have anticipated what's all happened. And uh, how's how's the pandemic and lockdown been treating you? Are you guys opened up a bit in Minnesota? Yeah, we're getting more opened up now. Um, some restaurants are um, doing the the stuff on the patio, even making parking lots bigger for patio stuff. I think we're to the point where we can get, um, you can go down and have dinner at a, at a restaurant, but you know, you got to keep your social distancing, um, that side of it. But, you know, in the beginning stages, we were, you know, everyone, everything was kind of shut down for the most part, except for essential workers and myself being a real estate agent, you know, that, they deem that as essential. So I just kind of kept doing my thing, of course, taking the, the precautions with, you know, COVID and whatnot. So, um, but yeah, it's been, it's been crazy, but we've been busy. Yeah. I, I bet is, how's the real estate been out there? You know, it's actually been, been good. I was a little bit concerned when, when COVID hit and everything was shutting down and I didn't know what things were going to look like for me in the next month or two, but um, with interest rates being so low, that's really just kind of driving our market. Um, so everyone that I've been working with has just been kind of full head of steam and all my buyers that I've been working with, you know, wanted to still buy things and, and same with the sellers, they still wanted to sell their houses. And, you know, of course we just take the, the precautions, whether you're wearing a mask and a lot of hand sanitizer around and, you know, some people are requesting you wear gloves when you show a house, which is understandable. It's hard to go in and, and look at a house and not, you know, not touch everything. So, especially door handles and light switches. So, but, um, you know, it's been good for the most part. Good to hear that. I'm glad that you stayed busy and, and staying working during these past, these past six months or so. Uh, have you gotten on the bike much and done much riding? Um, a little bit here and there, more so the motorbike. Haven't done any hill climb things. Um, just kind of started tinkering. Uh, a little bit last couple of weeks on hill climb stuff with uh, the brick mine coming up here. And, but I've probably been on the motorbike maybe four or five times, a um, couple of local um, groomed practices. And then we just had a local motocross race. I haven't raced in a long time because normally I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, working on the, the pro hill climb stuff and, and don't want to get tangled up and hurt in a race, but I usually go out and do all the practice days, to keep the mm-hmm. the endurance, you know, up there and, and seat time. So went out and did a, a moto for something different, did a couple motos and you know, that turned out good. And that was really fun to get back behind the gate again and, you know, get those butterflies. So, um, that was fun. Well, good. That's always awesome training when you can cross or cross over into a different discipline. That's good to hear. Now you're in which city again? I'm in Mankato, Minnesota. Is that where we went to watch that? Uh, is it is that one amateur race? I don't know with the waterfalls. Is that Mankato? Um, 
with the waterfalls and the, yeah, were you you came to Mankato? I think so. It was the day before Bay City, a couple years back. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wasn't there, but maybe you were, you went down there to check it out. Yeah, that's our our local club there that we've been a part of you know, our whole life. We pretty much grew up out there as a young kid from you know riding fifties all the way up and through, um, and that's what kind of got us introduced to the hill climb world. They have a hill climb there for amateurs, and they also have a moto track. Um, on the amateur side of things too. So growing up and having that obviously has been a big help and that's what got us in to where we are now, you know? Nice. Nice. Now it is a cool, cool spot. And, uh, I can see that there's a lot of history there. It seems pretty old. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So the club is actually thinking about expanding and trying to buy more land. And so actually after this call, we're heading out to a meeting out there to see, how that's going to all shake out. So things are kind of happening and hopefully the club can grow. I mean, there's not too many places where, you know, you have motorcycle clubs that can, you know, expand and get bigger versus what they already have. And, you know, other landowners trying to come in on motorcycle racing or enthusiasts trying to shut them down. Yeah, no, that's a constant threat. And I think that's nationwide. We're always getting places shut down. So I best of luck to you guys' club that you can, open something else up or open something new up. That'd be great. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now also some big news for you. You're, you're a family man. You have a, uh, how old's Carter? Yeah. So Carter's now a year and two months, I believe. And then Claire, my wife is pregnant and due at the end of August. So oh wow, Carter just started walking. Oh, about a week or so ago. <laughs> and just crawling already she's into everything and now she can stand up and walk to get to wherever she wants and it's it's busy you got to keep an eye on her that's for sure otherwise you know she'll empty up your cupboards for you in about five seconds so but it's it's all fun it's cool to see them you know grow and develop you know throughout the small period of time you know going from crawling i think that was a milestone and all of a sudden the walking is taking off and it's just it's crazy how quick it happens. Yeah, no, no kidding. It's uh, it progress. They progress so quickly, just right before your eyes, and it's it's super special to watch. Now, how how has uh, your race life changed with the family? As you know, do you kind of reconsider certain things? Have you kind of uh, made some sacrifices here and there? Yeah, I think a little bit. I think before you know Carter came, I kind of you know, been in the racing scene, you know, pretty much my whole life. And, you know, I've, I've done the AMA pro stuff now for, well, I started in 2010. So, you know, going on 10 years with that. And it's just, for me, I, I don't think, you know, the family life has really held me back. It's just a situation of, you know, where are we going to go to next? We've done a lot. We've been successful. We've won titles and, you know, travel the world. It's just how can we, you know, make the situation better and, um, you know, I kind of quit following the the AMA circuit now and just hit the the races that we enjoy going to, and and maybe we can make a little bit more money on that side of it. Um, but also, you know, traveling, you know, that's a lot of time away from home. And if Claire and Carter aren't with me, then you know, Claire's got to handle Carter 100% of the time. And now with another one coming, um, you know, it's that much more work for her, and it's easy for me to go out and go to races but just thinking back if she was out going to races and i was back with the kids it's a 
full-time gig and it's it's tiring and so i get that side of it too so we're just trying to find a good good equal balance and and do what makes sense and you know kind of go from there good good it's a it's a different team effort you've been on race teams before but now it's a team with the the family and that takes priority over everything yeah yeah for sure When when we got into the ama pro stuff you know i raced for uh dr bob racing out of pennsylvania and that was a situation where you know i hopped on a plane and grabbed a rental car and, and showed up to the race my bikes were all ready to go and all i had to do is worry about you know twisting the throttle and and doing the best i could and, and win and you know try to get some championships so that was kind of the easy road um and then eventually as bob got older and kind of went into the retirement side of it we bought those bikes that we were racing on and and kind of made some tweaks suspension wise which were leaps and bounds you know out of where we once were and you know that's when you know I, I got in touch with junior jackson and you know he dialed in the suspension of course hill climbing stuff's a little bit different but he's kind of created a little knack for it and you know that guy's probably had my suspension off a million times and taken apart um revalving and all that to get it to get it just right and now we have something you know really good for the the ama series and it really showed and shined and you know now i'm six-time ama champ you know today so he's been a big help with our program you know progressing things for sure yeah definitely junior has been a made a big splash in our sport for with a lot of riders especially yourself now let's dig into your your race career a little bit going a little bit past or before dr bob what you know your amateur career you said you were on 50s at mankato motorcycle club what uh what inspired you to race and how did you start out well yeah so a part of the keto cycle club like i said we go out there every weekend when i'm younger and we just ride around. We weren't racing any hill climbs, motocross, anything like that. But that club would hold, you know, two to three amateur hill climb races a year. And just watching that. And at that time, I was on 80s. And we just kind of thought, well, you know, let's try this out. The the district went um, to Mankato, New Ulm, and Red Wing was pretty much it. So they were all within a couple hours from home. And so it wasn't too much traveling. And so we did a little bit the first year kind of got our feet wet and then the next year uh you know kind of did our homework a little bit and practiced uh the hill climb stuff we were able to practice out at the kiosk club where they have their hills so you know that was helpful and just took it a little bit more seriously and um you know the next year we started winning races and i think we won a district championship that next year and you know anyone who you know has ever won anything winning is is addicting and so uh, we kind of just, it went from there and it just snowballed and, you know, we, we started hitting more races and then went to the nationals, wherever they'd be. A lot of times they're out East. Um, so we made those trips and, you know, at first, you know, those weren't successful trips. You know, I remember on eighties going all the way out to, I think it was Beaverdale, Pennsylvania. It might've been my, my first race on eighties mm-hmm. and, I had butterflies in my stomach times a million. And it's like, I remember before we went to the race, we went to gas station, got breakfast, whatever. I, I puked at the gas station just when we were filling up gas. I was so Ooh. nervous and worked up on the deal. 
and you know my whole family put me in their truck and went all the way out to Pennsylvania and I did absolutely terrible you know <laughs> where the roads I've ever ridden and I don't even know where I ended up came back with nothing basically so you know to see the sacrifices that your family makes and you go out and do real bad. Not that I had any weight on my shoulders, you know, we're all doing it, you know, for fun at that point. But, you know, at that level, it's a little more serious. And of course I put pressure on myself. I want to do good, you know? And so, but I think that's with anything, you kind of get your feet wet then at that level. And then the following years, you know, you just get better and better. And, you know, the more you put into it and the practice and stuff like that. And, you know, we were able to eventually climb from eighties and we rode, um, I had a KTM 200 road, I think a little bit on the two fifties, had a CR 500. Um, and then eventually had a, uh, CBR 1000 in the open class and amateur ranks. And through the years I ended up with five amateur titles. So, nice. um, it was good. And that last year we rode amateurs. I won the open class title in New Ulm, um, but never had any, um, time where I was thinking, oh, I'm going to go pro. I never really had a plan for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know too many people from our area that, that did go pro. And, you know, like if you say towards motocross, well, motocross the guy goes pro, they can make some, a significant amount of money, say a factory rider or something like that, where, you know, I think a lot of people know that hill climb is not, not there yet. Um, I think there's a fair amount of races a guy could hit to make a decent living if, you know, of course everything goes right and you were to clean up and win everything. It could be a decent living, but you know, you'd be busy traveling the world too. And generally, not absolutely everything goes right. So you know, you're gonna have some expenses, and we all got to keep our day jobs. So it sounds like you had a pretty good amateur career. And what were you 16 when you turned pro eventually? Um, let's see. It was 10 years ago now. So I was no, I was probably older now. It's probably 21, 22. I want to say. Okay. Maybe it was. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Now, did you raise pro? I didn't know that. Oh, sorry. Did <laughs> No, go ahead. Did you raise pro a couple years before Dr. Bob? Uh, no, I never did. Well, I guess you could say I, I ran out to uh, Billings. I think I was there one or two years. I did Billings. Um, that pro hill climb out there. Mm-hmm. Totally different world from you know, what I came from, uh, just another, a learning curve there, uh, that I think the first year I was out there, never made it over the hill, but God, so motivated to, to want to get over the top of that hill. And at the end of that day, if, if I could have paid you a hundred bucks per try to do it again and again, and again, until I finally got it, I'd probably be paying you, <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. you want to conquer it so bad as a, you know, competitive rider and have to wait you know, a whole year to go back or whatever. And I think the second time I went back, I finally got the, you know, open bike over the top. I think the best I maybe did there at that time was maybe a six in the open class. Oh, wow. That's really so, good. That's a gnarly hill. That's one of my favorites in the world. Like there's nothing like the BMC and, and the, the history that hill has. I didn't know you raced it. Um, yeah. Before. Yeah. It was a long time ago. It was before I ever did you know, any of the AMA pro stuff before I went pro and that was all before that might've been, gosh, I'm not even sure. I might've been 16, 17 years old at that time, maybe. Okay. 
So probably not an open bike, you know, back in the Midwest for a couple of years or something. Wow. Now, how did you get connected to Dr. Bob? How did that whole relationship happen? So I, yeah, I grew up racing against uh, Nate Redmond, which he's out of Rochester, Minnesota. And he eventually, after he raced amateurs, uh, him and his dad went on the road and they had their own bikes and they went and hit the pro series and did that. And then eventually he got an opportunity to ride for Dr. Bob and I think things were going good. And, um, I was just recently, Oh, I don't know if I just recently finished up that last AMA title on my 1000 in the open class. And Bob had, I think four guys on the team. Nate was one of them. And one of the guys recently dislocated his shoulder um, at a race and, and Rob called me and he was Rob, which would be Nate's dad called me and said, Hey, what do you think about this opportunity? He didn't know for sure, but he was just going to throw it out there to Bob and see, you know, what he thought about it and thought I'd be a good pick to a guy who wouldn't, you know, throw a bike away or anything like that on, on nitro, you know, mm-hmm. destroy a bike. So I, I thought about it and was like, well, sure you know we don't have anything else going on and you know let's go check out this world and um you know never ridden a, a nitro bike before so that was going to be an eye opener, you know as well mm-hmm. and so we went ahead and did that i think i had maybe once we had all finalized that i was going to go i think we had three or four days maybe maybe began of the week to get my license with ama and then pretty much buy a plane ticket and actually the first race i was going to was Pogues Hole in New York. Mm. So I was basically signed up. I went pro, got my license, and then pretty much went to, you know, the biggest hill climb, you know, of the year that a lot of us go to. Uh, that time it was an AMA event. And, um, you know, I went there. Nobody really knew who I was. And, you know, just another guy that was going to fill in for, for Dr. Bob. And we went to the Pogues Hole and ended up second and harold got first that year so oh my gosh we really second? A, yeah so i think we opened up a lot of eyes um that year and actually i think harold originally the year before i think he won maybe all the classes or a couple classes so of course he's he was well known and i actually rode after him my first ride so he put down a you know a fast time like like he tends to do and then I come up as a nobody and, and beat out his time by a little bit. So I was like, oh, oh. crap, who's this guy? And then uh, he ended up coming back and, and edging me out again. So we ended up second. But it was a it was a cool experience and a good way to, you know, start my AMA Pro career there. That's crazy. So you're, you had Dr. Bob just throw you in the ring to Pogue's Hole and you... <laughs> You end up beating Harold's first time and, and finishing second. That's yeah, su- it was. Yeah, that's surreal. It was crazy. I remember the night before because I'd never been on a nitro bike before. I never did a whole shot. You know, I've watched videos of his bikes and kind of just getting the idea of how they react, basically. And, you know, when you're down on the line, you just got to be confident in, you know, your abilities and not freak yourself out. So I just kind of you know, what a lot of racers do. I think once you get on the line, all the butterflies kind of go and, you know, you get in the zone and that's kind of 
you know, how it worked out for me too. And, and everything just worked out real well. You know, I thought it jumped good. I was, I didn't have any issues with, you know, feeling weird, you know, we obviously set the bike up bars and stuff like that for me and got as comfortable as I could. But, um, yeah, it worked out really well. And of course that guy was, uh, that I was riding for, filling in for, he was out for the year. So I think they had maybe three or four more races that year. So with getting second, they offered it up for the rest of the year. And of course I, I said, yes, let's do it. And so moving on the rest of the year then. wow now that's a pretty cool story thanks for sharing that i never knew that um what year was that that would have been 2010 okay 2010 pokes yeah wow now after that did you start writing for dr bob full time yeah yeah then it came back full time um and he then that winter he built another R1 with me in mind. So, um, that bike really fit me good. Uh, the following year, I really gelled with that bike. It's a bike I still have today. Um, it's just, we've changed the plastic and kind of modernized the bike and everything. The R6, when did that come into play? So the R6 came into play, gosh, when, at the time, I believe it was Bob's, uh nephew was riding it when i had just the r1 and then i think he he eventually quit riding and then that's when that other r6 or no i take that back actually because i never raced against nate on the r6 i think nate retired and then that yeah that freed up his r6 and so then i started riding that r6 now both of those bikes are in in the in our sport just some of the most immaculate nastiest and just we all love listening and hearing and watching those things you you ride them so gracefully too what is it like throwing a leg over and holding that throttle and it's not even wide open all the time because on a lot of the hills it sounds like you're a quarter to half throttle and um some hills you know at least the ones i've seen you on which are more west coast style you you can't really open them up too much they have so much power is that right or yeah yeah it's accurate like the first time i rode that thing um, you know, I did pretty good and I, I came down from the bottom of the hill and I think with Robin says, Oh yeah, good job. I think you were maybe quarter throttle that whole way. And it's <laughs> like, are you kidding me? I was flying, you know? So of course, obviously I'm only going to go as fast as my eyes can handle and, you know, keep up and, you know, not obviously right over my head or anything like that. Um, probably end up killing myself if I did that. But, um, yeah, they're, they're crazy. It's hard when you get to a West Coast style hill where you have turns or you have some on-offs and um, the power that they have is, is so aggressive and, and literally like just putting tension on the throttle cables and barely even getting a quarter turn will get you so far, you know, down the road or, you know, up the hill. It, it just doesn't take much. So to have to tiptoe it through a section is where the back gets really hard. And, you know, these bikes are, are built and set up for the East Coast style hills, which are, you know, big jumps and, and high speeds. So, you know, it's kind of like taking a drag strip car to a monster truck event, you know, yeah. it's not going to work very well. No, yeah. And so, you got suspension um, and all these other factors. 
um, that challenge, make it challenging? Yeah. So, I mean, we do the, the best we can, like on the East coast, say Freemansburg, um, that's probably the one place, you know, the fastest we'll ever go. And, you know, one time we, we figured out how fast I made up the top of the hill. We figured out what my average miles per hour was. And I believe it was about 65 miles an hour that day. And obviously oh you don't start at 65 miles an hour. So, um, you know, that day we were really hauling the mail and that's when, you know, the good suspension comes into play, yep. um, to make that a, a comfy ride up the hill. So 65 um, miles an hour. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. I wish they would have like a, a radar gun or something there. Cause you know, we get going pretty fast there. Things happen pretty quick. Yeah. When I raced there at Molly's event, it was, I think on the 450, 14 seconds or something. And, but you guys are chained up, stretched out with, you know, full on nitro bikes. How fast are you guys yeah, making it up? Like seven, eight seconds or? What's that? How fast are you guys making it up? Yeah, I think we were high nine seconds, I think oh it was. Or gosh. no, maybe maybe high eight, maybe. We were low nine. That's a I big, remember exactly. That's a big long hill but, too, and it gets steep up top. It's Yeah, yeah. And those, you know, those jumps are, are huge hits. You know, that we're probably launching 80 feet up the hill, you know, landing power on again you know, on the nitro bike, every time we land, we're just picking up more and more speed. And, mm -hmm. you know, a nitro bike, this got all the power, you know, this air for us. It's just, you know, we kind of just keep pouring it on. And, you know, I know some guys, some racers, they just flat out don't want to go that fast, you know, and they're scared to go that fast. And, you know, I guess I can understand that to a point. I guess I, I grew up on speed hills. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously nothing prepares you for a nitro bike, but, um, in time, you know, it took me a little while to start winning at Freemansburg and it's a hill I really enjoyed. And at first I wasn't winning and it was kind of frustrating, but then, you know, once we started winning there and, um, you know, I really, I really do enjoy, you know, going there. It's a long hill and you just, like I said, you keep pouring on the, on the power and it can be a challenge too, because it can get rutted up there. And, you know, some of those 80 foot hits, you know, with the ruts going up it, trying to go that fast. I mean, you got to hit that rut you know, just fine. And, and what you learn on a nitro bike, having a chain tire too, can get you out of some situations where maybe a knobby or a paddle wouldn't be able to do for you because the chain can chew, can chew up so much. So yeah, there's a lot of things you learn going from nitro and, you know, having a chain tire on and, um, you know, that much power can be your friend compared to, you know, not being chained up and not on nitro. Mm -hmm. So, but uh -huh. It's tough, you know. We've been we've been out west to, you know, Columbus before, and we basically just shortened up our nitro bikes the shortest we could possibly go, and you know, did what we could. But it was another situation situation where we're, you know, tiptoeing through the gates, and you know, at first it's a little bit frustrating for me because you're taking something that's not made to do, you know, what you're doing. Um, but then, you know, every time I rode it, we got better. You know, we didn't do anything great that day, but um, I kind of just started, since it's not something in our in our series, I just kind of took it as, well, it's a challenge for myself, you know, just outside of, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? Basically, just to try and be as good as them on something that, 
you know, you shouldn't be as good as them on, I guess would be the way to put it. Yeah. No, but, that, I remember that race. I think that was the first time you and I met. And uh, I remember you let me, you or your dad or someone let me hold the blower at you at the line. And for me, yeah. I was just like, that was so cool to be in that moment and to hold the blower for you on that. That I did not expect that. And uh, just the raw power and the smell and everything just, it reaches all your senses. And I couldn't imagine what it's like to have a leg over it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's it's an intense thing. It's it's when that bike lights, it's it's game on. You know, you get in the zone, and you know you go to it and forget about everything else. Um, but you know, you got to respect the respect the nitro bike. Otherwise, you're going to go down down hard. You know. So. Yep, definitely. But I guess that goes with any bike too. Yeah. So speaking about bikes, are are you going to stick with nitro bikes and, and just keep moving forward on picking and choosing races or do you got to have any other plans? Yeah. You know, it's a little bit up in the air, just kind of, you know, maybe sitting back a little bit to see what some of these series are going to do. Um, I know the AMA series is they're getting rid of their 600 class and doing a twins class, which we don't have a twins bike for that. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to try to do something with that this year, uh, just in the situation that we're in, where I am in, in life, it just, it wasn't a good fit for this year. So with that new class, I think we're just going to kind of sit back and see how that develops. Um, if that can grow the sport in any way to see if, you know, that's something we want to, you know, build or, or get into. So Mm -hmm. just kind of sitting back on, on that part of that. So um, you know, with, with them changing that class structure. Now, when I go to those races, my R6 is, is essentially sidelined. Um, and I would just have my, my Yamaha R1 on nitro and then, you know, race my 450 and, uh, that class there too. So, hmm. um, with just having two bikes with, you know, three classes available, it's nice to get in all three classes as far as, you know, winnings and, and trying to make money to, you know, pay for all of your expenses. Uh, I've gotten to the point now where, you know, it's not, you know, we've been at the top level for a while. Uh, it's not all about, you know, doing a fun hobby. It's unfortunately, as you grow up, it, it turns into a little bit of a business structure. At least that's how I, you know, handle it moving forward. So, you know, some of the races that we've taken a step back from, it's just, um, kind of a, a business standpoint that I'm at. It just has to make sense to, to go there. You know, I can't travel the country, you know, losing thousands of dollars. And generally when we travel out east, maybe it's 18, 20 hours in the car. By the time you throw a leg over your bike, you're in it for a thousand bucks. And, you know, if you can only make two or three grand on a perfect day, you know, not to mention if, you know, you don't have equipment failures, which we've been really, you know, thankful. Our equipment is all you know, stood up well throughout the years and, um, we haven't had those issues, but, you know, things come up, things even come up on the road, you know, I've blown tires and wrecked rims on trailers that you don't expect. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not cheap to go down the road. So, um, that part of it, you know, doing it for so long, I know which races we were able to make a little bit more money and, you know, I hate to have it be that way, but I can't, you know, we got to support a family too. We can't just go out and donate a bunch of money every weekend. 
oh, it makes complete sense. And I'm hearing that from more and more writers uh, as things progress and series are changing up things. And so it's a bit of interesting conversation where championships are kind of taking the back seat to some top riders and some riders just want to pick and choose and have fun or just make sure that when they're having fun, they're covering their cost. Like that's the bare minimum. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, That's kind of the big thing. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Quick question about the R6. Are there some races like now the AMA's new schedule? Are there some hills that you'd want to choose the R6 over the R1? Um, you know, I, I don't think so just because I gel so well with my R1. Mm-hmm. Um, generally I'm always faster on the R1, but I've done races where, you know, I've been the same hill on both bikes and the R6 went faster. Yeah. Um, but I think I'm just from a, a comfortable standpoint, um, I'm just better, more comfortable on my R1. So I think majority of the time I would, I would pick the R1, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure exactly what scenario would maybe put me on the R6. And if that scenario came about, you know, would I maybe try to change something on my R1 to get it, you know, to fit suit that situation, you know, whether it's gearing, slowing it down or, you know, whatever we can do to, to fit that situation. So I would say generally for me, um, I'm always going for the R1. Um, that's always fit me well. Uh, the R6 was a little bit goofy for me at first, but as we got a couple years down the road and, and gotten that to fit me a little bit different, like my from my seat height to my foot pegs on the R6 is different than my R1. My R1 is more purpose-built for me versus mm. the R6 was what Nate rode. Yeah. So just sitting on it, I, I feel a little bit different um, on it. So I think a lot of the times the R6 would be sideline, but like, this past year with bringing Josh Hill on, um, you know, he really enjoyed that. He did the couple races that he did, uh, Pokes Hole and, and Millville. He liked that. He was game for, you know, coming back this year. Uh, we were in talks of a handful of races, probably more than the two that he did last year. And then just with the COVID, the COVID-19 snowball and everything and races being canceled. And then I know, Josh got hurt practicing for Supercross, and then he was kind of out on that. And then before you know it, I have two races on my schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's probably looking like, you know, we'll probably just stay in touch and see what next year brings. Yeah, no, I was going to ask you about Josh and that opportunity last year and having him go to Millville and Pogues Hole. That was pretty big for our sport, and having a guy like that you know, do well, but not win everything is a big statement. And so, you know, that's really cool. You touched on, you guys are still talking and wanting to, to continue the, the program. But when that started out, were you just like stoked? What was that like? Cause it's Josh Hill. I mean, we've been watching him since we were all younger on TV and, and seeing his career go forward. And, and now he's talking to you like, that's pretty rad. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, it's super crazy to, you know, see him, you know, winning Supercrosses at the top level and, you know, watching his career. And then, you know, he kind of got away from Supercross and Motocross stuff, you know, when he had his bad accident um, 
breaking his leg doing a backflip. Um, but I think it was it was obvious to see with everything that Josh has been able to do since then. Um, you know, hasn't burned any bridges in the industry and, it, and is well known in the industry and, and I think well liked and respected. And so, mm-hmm. um, for me, the the connection we have is um, you know both being supported by Yamaha and then uh, the connection with Junior Jackson. So Junior was actually out, I believe it was X Games, helping him do the snow bike thing and threw the idea out there and kind of showed him a couple of pictures of my bikes and whatnot. And, you know, he was into it. And of course the first stage there, it's like, you think, okay, maybe he's into it. And then it kind of just goes away. But uh, eventually we hit a point where, you know, Junior gave me his number and called him up and, you know, we ran through some ideas and, you know, he was still super interested and, you know, all about it, wanted to try it out. And so, you know, that's when we set up a, a test day at Millville um, to do that hill. And, um, yeah, it worked out really good. He's super, super happy with it and surprised with how, you know, heavy the bikes are, how well they, they flew and the suspension worked and all that. So he was, you know, his first race, I believe we did the test day and then two weeks later we went to Pokes Hole. So, you know, he felt good on the bike and just made small changes for him. And he was ready to go. I mean, he set out to win, you know, Pogues Hole and I think he, you know, it was obviously going to open people's eyes there, especially the crowd that maybe didn't know know who Josh was. But, you know, he set out to win that day, and, you know, he ended up getting the overall. So it's just it's awesome to see. And, you know, he has a lot of followers in the industry and whatnot. And that, you know, I think transferred over to the hill climb scene and definitely helped out that. You know, it was it was good all the way around. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I, I appreciate you letting me to be involved as well. And, I that was just such a cool experience to see him do well there and uh that you know after the race after everything settled down to see the effects it made and the positive effects it made on our sport because one of the for example I went to the uh, Parts Unlimited show in Madison Wisconsin and I was talking to I was working it with IRC Tire and I was talking to some other industry people and I bring up the sport and everything they're like oh Oh, Josh Hill. Yeah, we saw he did this and that. And it would instantly create a connection. And that's why it was really important to make that that opportunity happen and to make sure Josh got there comfortably and make sure he was set up on good bikes and and uh, that he left happy because the long-term effects of having a guy of that, you know, with that experience and that career come into our realm it's just, it's almost priceless because it just, every time we bring these bigger riders in is it just really helps every, all the riders out, all the promoters out and the sport itself just get better recognition. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Even on that test day, when we first tested with him, you know, we put up a little video just driving home from, from testing in Millville mm-hmm. and gosh, we had thousands and thousands of, of, of views and, and likes on our Instagram account just from, you know, posting that and it just blew up from there. And it was amazing how many, you know, a high end, you know, say motocross, supercross guys that chimed in on that post and was actually reaching out to Josh outside of Instagram messaging about, you know, how they could potentially be involved with, you know, a race or get on something like that. And so we were, when I did the, the Millville Hill climb, there was a time there where, we, you know, could have possibly had some others 
um, come in for that, that race and ultimately, you know, it didn't work, but people were excited about it. And, you know, I think that's, what's really cool about, you know, our, our sport, as far as, you know, we got cool, crazy bikes, um, obviously you gotta be a good rider to ride them, but, um, you know, guys like this who maybe aren't in supercross or motocross, you know, training, have the endurance can, can easily come over and, you know, show their talents on a bike, you know, and do a hill climb. So. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I've always liked your mindset. You and I've had a lot of good conversations about, um, the state of the sport, the past and the future. And, and this is one of those things that we just have always agreed on that getting these bigger influencer athletes out here to the Hills are just so important. Um, so in your opinion, I know we've talked about it a lot. Where, where do you see the sport going and what do you think the sport needs to, to continue to grow? Um, you know, it's tough. I think, I think you need it to step up from, from all angles. And, you know, I think everybody, when they talk about it, the big thing is we need money. We need money. I think maybe have to get creative to create that, you know, money. I know a lot of people always were talking about series sponsors and stuff like that, which, yeah, that absolutely does help. And that's probably the quick fix, but, um, you know, I think, you know, if we can get more guys like, you know, say you're Josh Hill that has a huge following, um, you know, to tap into that and uh, this guy that you're going to bring to the brick mine, you know, obviously that's the, probably the same idea um, you're going with there and you've had some other guys out in, in California and, and, and whatnot. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know where exactly the, the twins class on the AMA side is going to go. I understand why they did it mm-hmm. um, to get some industry, you know, traction there and get some people, interested i know there's one manufacturer now that's now involved um and will that create say competition to get another manufacturer involved eventually that snowballs and everyone's kind of involved it it seems like that's what happened with you know ama pro flat track i think it's going to take um you know more than than two guys or three guys to get this thing off the ground it's it's going to have to really be looked at as you know, running a business in the sense to, you know, get this thing off the ground. It's going to be a lot of man hours and, you know, pounding the pavement to try and get something together. But it's just tough when a lot of the racers are on the shoestring budget, um, trying to make all these races and, or, you know, doing what I'm doing and picking and choosing what makes sense. So, um, but of course, you know, I've been a promoter as well and I understand that it's got to make sense for the promoter and, you know, whoever's running the series. And so everyone's got to, got to come out on the deal. Um, so that's the hard part, but, uh, you know, having three classes, I've heard the argument of having three classes versus two classes, just make it simple or you just have an open class and a 450 class. That's kind of where I was kind of staying on it. I know your moto climb series kind of went that way, but then also, didn't take away from a lot of people that have 600s and, you know, CR 500s and stuff like that and gave them a class, um, you know, and didn't necessarily wait all the money in that class, but it was another trip up the hill uh, from a crowd standpoint. Uh, I guess it's a good feeler for the riders for that other ride up the hill, but the crowd standpoint, you know, they're seeing another set of bikes sometimes that look identical to maybe an open bike. They're just seeing it again. Yeah. Um, I think you got to, from a show standpoint, um, the shows can't run all day long. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it gets boring for even if it's you know super super awesome stuff that they're they're watching. You know, it hits the point where someone just gets bored of seeing the same thing over and over. I think that's just how we're wired, basically. So you yeah. know, if you look at Supercross, where you know you got the two classes and they're going to give you a show in three hours and you're in and out and you stay to that that structure you know people know that they're going to come out see this thing it's going to wrap up by a certain amount of time and then they can go about their day you know doing something else yeah there's there's got to be a compromise there almost too because um you know there's only one guy going up the hill at the same time Mm -hmm. so the days can draw out a little longer um but i think to have the the online presence, the live presence, which I'm starting to see in some of these events, um, or even looks like Columbus is doing a, a pay-per-view mm-hmm. um, deal there. And I don't know who who generates that money or if that's just to help pay for, you know, bringing that option there. You know, it's got to work out for everybody. Of course, the promoter can't pull out a bunch of money to have a cool show, but then, you know, lose a bunch of money either so yeah definitely and, and yeah it is tough and myself on the promoter side and being with the riders and you now are on the promoter side because you've done a couple races at millville i'm sure your your mindset has changed over you know what you did see before as a rider now you're a promoter and have a perspective of both the rider and the guy who needs to break even at least and you know, get the show rolling and get everyone organized. There's just so many moving parts of being a promoter that not many people recognize. So the fact that you're now in those shoes, I'm sure your your perspective, your um, I'm sure your perspective has changed quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. And I think you know, being on the AMA side and then being a part of you know that board uh, with the group of riders there, and just learning where all the ins and outs and where all the money actually goes. You know, sometimes you think, oh, man, the promoter's really killing it and we're just getting a small chunk. Um, sometimes that is the case, but to also have the knowledge of knowing where that's going, why it's going there. Um, you know, I think I have, I kind of know where every where every dollar goes and what the deal is made between the riders and the promoter. Um, and a lot of people just don't know that. And it is, you know, it takes time to, to learn all of that stuff and because you got to know the ins and outs and all that to even try to come to a meeting and propose something different, you know, on why it would benefit a promoter or why it would benefit the riders. And you got to have a happy, happy family there. Of course, you got to treat the riders well, treat the promoter well, and, you know, put on a good show for the crowd, um, get more people coming back. And the way everything is structured on the East coast where, you know, we're, we're paid a minimum, but we're also, um, paid an overage if we hit a certain point where the promoters hit a certain number of spectators through the gate, um, they're having a good day. And then once they hit that point, you know, we start getting an overage percentage. So as they make more money, we make more money. Yeah. So, and that just helps with all of our expenses and, you know, ultimately, you know, you're going out racing and, you know, some people are looking at it as a, as a business, we're, we're trying to make money. There's no, you know, secret about it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. It's a, it's a very complex thing and you throw in the whole factor of growing the sport and it just becomes a big mess sometimes. So <laughs> I, we could yeah, talk, a, yeah. 
we could talk about this forever and we have i know you and i've had long conversations and with other writers too and other promoters but um i think where we're at now is we're here for a reason and we just keep on trying to get these bigger athletes to these races and do what we can to clean up our image yeah yeah for sure i i think we we have a good show it just needs to be marketed the right way yeah and you know i think it's it's tough like just even being a promoter you know you have all these ideas or whatever but your ideas you need more than one body to make all these ideas happen exactly and i know you know doing my event that i did for the first couple of years it's hard to find it's hard to find good help it's hard to find just any help you know mm-hmm. and i when i did my events uh you know you get right down to about the event day and you're calling on you know over half your family to come and and work a spot hey can you sit here for five hours at the gate or can you do this can you do that mm-hmm. you know best I can do for you is give you a thank you at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, that's, that's tough. People got to really love the sport to just volunteer their time like that. Um, you know, so from the way I was looking at, it, I was hoping to get to a point where I could at least pay these people that are helping me, you know, 10, $15 an hour, at least to make it worth their time, you know, mm-hmm. cause they could be, you know, they could essentially be at another job working there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's to sit somewhere and, you know, standing all day or whatever it, it's not easy you might not be doing much but it, it takes a lot of you and sometimes it's 100 110 degrees out it's not that enjoyable well it shows you're so, a good promoter because you not actually notice those things <laughs> there's, yeah there's some out there yeah. that don't even take notice but um no it's a it's a tough gig and and uh as you've seen it's there's always a million other things that people don't see when they go to an event that you're, you're battling all day long, but. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's good where, you know, and the probably you have this on the West coast too, but you know, your, your AMA guys come in, they put on the show, riders just worry about what they need to worry about and promoters do the same. Um, but I think it, it kind of takes that, you know, structure of having two or five guys who come in and, and put, that show on. I mean, the promoters are obviously doing what they need to do to get the, the hills ready and, and they do the vending and all that stuff. But then you'd have someone come in and say, Hey, we're bringing the show in. We're kind of taking over this part of it. And, you know, all the riders know what to expect. Um, we'll be on the same program structure. You know, if we have any, you know, online live presence that day or whatever, people are going to know what to expect and mm-hmm. you know, what's going to be rolling out. Yeah. No, definitely. I agree. Um, are we ever going to see Millville back? Um, at this point I would say, no, I was taking this year off regardless of, I mean, COVID-19 had nothing to do with it. Yeah. I remember. That. Um, you know, I, my main goal in when I set out to do something, I want to do something, I want to do it right. I want to do it better than what's been done in, in the past the best I can. And mm-hmm. so my big thing was with, you know, bringing the amateurs, let's get some, uh, industry sponsors involved, you know, give back to the, the amateur racers and, you know, try to, you know, as you, as you grow up and, and kind of doing the, what at one time it was sponsorhouse.com. Now it's hookit.com. And, you know, I see it, I feel like you see a lot more motocross kids get on those programs and, you know, help get themselves some sponsors, get some deals on products, stuff like that. Um, get more involved on that side of it. I don't think we see too much of that on the, the hill climb side of it. So I wanted to, 
you know, bring the, the sponsors and connections that I have and, you know, those guys that came with, you know, like FXR, I came to them with an idea to give back to the amateurs. Um, and they run boards that thought it was a, a cool idea. So we did that. So everybody in the amateurs, um, every class first through third, um, left with a sponsorship, you know, for the remaining year. And you just stayed in contact with FXR, told them what you were doing. There was a good chance that you're going to be able to keep your, your sponsorship alive. And, you know, all that, all the savings and the expense, I mean, it's not cheap to go racing. So anything you can save is, is a great deal. And, you know, they're giving out 30% off on, you know, almost everything motocross related, you know, gear and, and even casual where, you know, 30% for a third, 40% for second and, you know, 50% for, for first place, which is, wow. you know, that's a huge amount of money that, you know, FXR has given up to all these racers um, to help support them. So, you know, that was super cool to see, you know, those guys step up, do something a little bit different and, and give back to, you know, our racers. And so that was the, the plan there to kind of give that a boost to something that, you know, these amateur racers aren't really ever seeing, you know, a lot of these amateur racers are just going to races and, you know, you race your class, you go home, you get your trophy and that's kind of it, mm-hmm. you know, even, even at the national level, I mean, it, it's really all the same. Yeah, it's a bigger race, but you're just going to leave with a bigger trophy. Yeah. You know, nothing more really develops from that. You know, there have a couple cool awards where, you know, maybe you get invited out to Las Vegas for a banquet. Um, and that's a cool deal. You know, I, I've been a part of those and it's, it's a cool experience. And, you know, if people have the opportunity to do that and get selected for that, I would say absolutely 100% go, you know, check it out and experience it. But, um, you know, just trying to get more involvement on the amateur side, you know, and, and ideally you'd like to see people get really involved in the amateur side and then phase out and, and go into the, the pro thing. Like you see a lot of, you know, in the motocross world, but yeah. it's hard for people when they get to that level to go pro because, you know, the money's not necessarily there. Well, that was one of my questions, actually, that I was going to ask. And, and what you did, your amateur programs at Millville, I was looking at that, and I just thought it was so awesome how you thought in those creative ways to give back and also to give back to the sponsors because um, they were probably really appreciative of, the, of that program. But for for amateur writers today, what is your advice for them if they want to go pro? Um, I'd say from the start, even even young people – and parents is, is just practice with your kid. You know, even if you have a little, if you live, you know, outside of town, you have a little track or, you know, go to practices that, you know, where they're going to have a, a weekend moto on an off weekend and go to the practice day, um, you know, on a practice bike or a motocross bike. I've learned so much, you know, racing and practicing motocross. It's way more time on the bike, um, getting yourself in so many different scenarios you know, in a short period of time and how to react to those scenarios. So I think from a skill level, you know, that really progressed my racing, you know, going that route. And I think, you know, if you can progress your riding ability, it's setting yourself up to, you know, be a player once you have the opportunity. You know, I think it was 16 or 17 years old, you can turn pro and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, start mixing it up with us. So, uh, I think that's the big thing, just being prepared and, 
you know, if you're, you're not quite ready to say hop on a nitro bike and light the world on fire, you know, build something that you're going to be comfortable and that you can race in your means because one, it's safer. And two, you're going to ride it better and faster and more confident racing something that you, you know, know you can go hard on versus getting on a nitro bike saying it's cool, but you're just tiptoeing and really just putting yourself in a bad, bad position for things to go really bad. Those are good. Those are good point. Uh, those are really good points. And I'm sure, I hope some amateurs are listening to that and taking some notes because as a six time champ, you, uh, you've been through the program and you know, it's best. So I'm sure if you can go back, you'd make a couple tweaks, but you know, you can't do that. So you just, you know, teach others from your experience. Um, what's your, right. what's your favorite hill in the U S and do you have any hills that you want to race on? Um, I would say my favorite on the AMA side is probably probably Freemansburg um, or Oregonia, Ohio. Um, mm-hmm. You know, usually Oregonia is our, our last race of the year. A lot of times we have championships on the line. Sometimes you're in a situation where you don't necessarily have to win that race. You just have to get through it um, to tie up your championship. But um you know, we have now, I think the last two or three years going to Ohio, um, guys that are on nitro bikes like me, John, I think Vinny, um, have all tried the big, the big step up, you know, it's set up to just be two jumps, you know, kind of like shelves going up the hill. And actually Logan has done it now to call on his, on his gas bike, which was super cool to see last year. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's like a 75, 80 foot uphill gap where, if you come up short, you land hard. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen, I think last year, two years ago, Vinny went, you know, uh, over the bars and got banged up real bad. And John actually sent his nitro bike and himself into the crowd the one year. So, you know, for us, that's a, that's a full commit deal, you know, on a nitro bike um, to make that gap. And so that's, that's pretty cool, fun, and, and rewarding to, to make that gap. And it's such a smooth transition when you do it, yeah. when you do it right. And when you do it right, it's, it's tough for it to be beat, you know. Yeah, it's a crazy so gap. That and, and yeah. yeah, Freemansburg is something where you can just keep pouring on the power too. So, um, but otherwise, you know, Polk's Hole, I feel like, kind of brings the East and West Coast styles together. You got speed down the bottom and you have a little bit of a climb you know, up at the top, it gets tough. So, uh, it's cool to see, you know, guys from out West that, you know, do a lot of the climbing stuff and the slower speeds, you know, struggle at that hill and, you know, mm-hmm. vice versa where, you know, East coast guys are able to succeed in some of the areas where West coast guys should, you know, be better. So it's, yeah, that one really mixes it up. And I think, you know, every year the top 10 is, seems to be close to half and half on East coast guys and West coast guys. And, you know, I, I obviously look at myself as a Midwest guy as some of, you know, the other guys do too, like the Herald and Logan to Paul and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. but, you know, I want to, you know, be the best I can be, you know, anywhere I'm at. I don't want to cater to one more than the other. I want to be good, you know, everywhere. Um, it's just it's a little bit of a bummer with when you have so much invested on, you know, our nitro bikes are totally set up for the East coast. So when I go West, you know, that struggle is there. We're kind of behind the eight ball a little bit right off the bat, but yeah, you know, I think I'd want to go back to 
Columbus again, maybe with different bike setups or, you know, possibly a different bike. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I went out there, heard a lot about that race before I went out there about how big it is and, you know, the money that can be made and all that stuff. And, you know, went out there, experienced it, uh, obviously struggled with bike stuff, was a little bit disappointed on the payout side of it. And so I've just kind of, it was a bucket list thing. Like I said, I'd, I'd want to go back just for myself. I hopefully it can get a little bit better for the riders. You know, I'm not, you know, dogging anybody by any means. I've, like I said, I've been a promoter. I know what it takes. It's a lot of work. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's the structure that the Naha has on their payout structure. You know, I, I believe they don't have an overage system. They just have a, a set purse and it is, you know, what it is. Mm-hmm. I guess when I originally went out there, I thought it was um, an overage payout situation. So I thought it was going to be really good on that side of things. Mm-hmm. And then it was a little bit bummed out to find out it wasn't. But, you know, I could put that blame on myself by not totally researching what it was all about. But either way, still cool experience. And, you know, I'm sure we'll be back out there again to to check it out. But I don't, don't know when that will be. Yeah. And I think your your bike would probably work well at the big nasty or uh even carnegie if it's set up right or, or washington those are good hills that you could yeah probably... washington is really interesting me actually that's a long hill mm-hmm. so that's a long ways from from home for me too yeah very um, long drive. obviously anywhere you go it's a it's a travel commitment for sure um i think that would be a fun one and then it just, just all comes down to the dollars at that point you know if i if I can't make any money, I'm just going out and donating and it's, you know, going somewhere as far as Washington. I mean, that's a week away from home. So it's already, you know, kind of a drainer on just our family situation. Um, you know, Claire, my wife has been really good about that stuff to where not really twisting my arm. If I want to go somewhere, you know, I can go. It's not like she's taking the racing away from me, you know, totally understands that. But at the same time, I don't want to have to work around the clock to, survive either because i went out and you know spent a bunch of money racing and it didn't make any sense yeah it makes sense and uh you are going to the brick mine though right yep yep we're going to the brick mine so we're getting getting stuff ready for that cool awesome we're excited to see you there um a couple other questions before we wrap this up what are your most memorable runs and maybe even crashes um, well, I would say the first time ever on a nitro bike at Pogues Hole, um, taking second there, that was pretty big. Yeah. Um, just back up a little bit from that on the amateur side, when I won the first, um, my first open bike, uh, national championship in New Ulm there, that was pretty, pretty big there. That was a situation where Todd Sapal, actually Logan's dad, was winning the open bike class. He put down a super fast ride. And then I came back and, and just edged him out. And I think I still hold the hill record there. Um, oh, wow. There's some video on that stuff. That was a pretty cool, crazy ride. Um, you know, that was, I think maybe they have a 220, 250 foot hill. And I did it in like 3.6 or 7 seconds or whatever it was. So oh, it was my. pretty gosh you gotta you gotta share some video of that i want to see it because yeah yeah i'll have a picture rollbacks or something yeah everyone but uh yeah i mean i've had some others 
uh, one year I was going for the title on the AMA side and my shoulder kept popping out and I just needed, I needed surgery, but it was one of those deals where we're going to finish out the season, you know, any way we can. And I think at the time surgery was already scheduled for like, you know, the end of October, we just had to get through it. We were, you know, battling and in the lead of the championship. And I think Freemansburg, it was kind of an all or nothing deal. I think I got beat in the first round in R1. I came back and I had to put it down. And my shoulder was so loose to the point where like, I get nervous trying to throw a t-shirt on too fast mm. and that thing would come out, you know, just walking the shoulder would just kind of jiggle. So we were, uh. you know, we did the, the shoulder, um, strap, I think maybe EBS made that one at the time. And then even went duct tape over the top of that to just get my arm to only go so far. Mm-hmm. And of course, once you're, you know, you're going, going hard up the hill, you kind of forget about that. And you know, that day I, I jumped the top jump, pretty much landed right at the light. And as soon as I landed and I landed with the gas on, the land smooth. And as soon as I landed with the gas on, my shoulder just popped out. You know, then I just kind of rolled off the back of the bike and won that day. Shoulder was out. I think my shoulder was out for probably a couple hours before I even did the podium with my shoulder out. And then eventually went to the hospital and got to put it back in. Oh, my gosh. That's gnarly. So... Yeah, it's we've had some crazy times. We definitely have made some memories of, you know, been in other hospitals outside of my my hometown for <laughs> you know crashes. So we've seen it all, and we kind of know. I put my my mom through a lot with emergency room visits and stuff like that. She kind of when I'm hurting, she knows what's needed and what's needed right away, and can direct nurses or you know doctors in the ER or what's what's needed you know i've gotten to the point where when my shoulder was out we could never get it in by ourselves I mean, i've had people say hey try to lift your arm like you're combing your fingers through your hair and by the time you get to the back of your your head it should roll in i've tried that to where my hand's all the way in the back and my shoulder is still out and of course that's extremely painful Ooh. and you know, had people tell me, sit on your hand, sit on the ground and, and roll back and that'll pop it in and, you know, try that while they get to the ER and it's one way to get it in is two doctors and they have a towel method. And I'm usually at that point, heavy sedated, not in it. And it takes two doctors to yank on my arm to get it back in. So uh. it's not easy. It wasn't enjoyable. You know, I think my that year my shoulder maybe came out about eight times oh my gosh really so yeah and that's when i just got so loose it's just of course looser and looser it gets as it comes out it doesn't hurt quite as bad as the first time but it's not it's still not enjoyable it's super uncomfortable that's for sure did you win a championship that year yeah that year we did yeah oh my gosh so championship get your award and to the hospital <laughs> get, it, get it sewed up and start rehab oh my gosh that's yeah, like why are we doing this again Jeez. oh that's right because we love racing dirt bikes no kidding um one last question i have uh is do you have you ever wanted to throw a leg on someone else's open bike and which one um yeah i guess Growing up, I've always, you know, Harold Waddell, his, he 
he's a little bit older than me, so I've always seen him in the open class before I even got to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like his his jigs are, I don't know what it is, jigs are 1100 or whatever it is on, on gas. He's got that thing. They built that really well and have the thing so dialed in, and you can tell the way he rides it. He's so in tune with his bike and, you know, can still light the world on fire mm-hmm. any day of the week against, you know, the best of us. So that would be a fun one to, to try. I think, you know, as far as any, you know, badass nitro bike, I think, uh, you know, mine is, you know, what I would choose. I don't have any interest of, of trying anybody else's exactly you know, on that side of it. And it's set up perfectly for you. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, okay. it's been a, it's been a crazy run. We're still, we're still involved. You know, I still have, you know, a lot of great sponsors behind me that are, you know, helping and making this all, all possible, even though we've kind of scaled back a little bit, but, um, you know, just trying to set up, set up life at home to, you know, handle going out racing. And if you don't have a good race weekend, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt the family, you know? So just trying to create a good base here and, you know, I'm, you know, bust my butt selling real estate and, and, you know, buying rental properties and, just just creating a good you know good base we don't have to worry about pinching pennies you know when you go and race and that's kind of the other thing too that you know will burn you out is before you know it all you're thinking about is the money you're not having fun anymore yeah and so that i hit a point you know i was i was struggling with races and of course then they're not making any money and then that's stressful in itself and i hit a point gosh a couple years ago maybe and i was just like we're halfway through the day and nothing was going right. I think we were having bike problems and I was just like, why, why am I even putting myself through this? It's yeah. not even enjoyable, but I guess you just have to get to that point to be able to take a step back and say, why are we doing this? That's you smart. Know? So that was the big thing for me is just realizing, you know, we got to make some changes here because we're sacrificing a lot on the home front to go out to these races. And if we're not enjoying that, well, we're not going anywhere. Yeah. Well, uh, good for you guys on realizing that as a team and family, because, uh, once you lose sight of that and it, it could really turn you off and you just quit racing or you, you, uh, get in a dangerous predicament with putting racing over your career or something and get hurt or there's just a lot of bad things that can go wrong if you don't keep asking, if you, if you don't ask yourself those questions. So, uh, no, I've, Right, when you, when right. I first heard you were kind of slowing down and picking and choosing, I was happy for you because I knew that was the best choice for you. And and uh, you're still going to go to the races you want to go to and still going to have your bikes. And so, uh, no, I'm happy to yeah. see you guys still I think that's just what you got to do. Otherwise, you're going to get stuck in the rut of doing the same thing over and over. And all of a sudden, you're going to realize you're 40 years old and you don't have anything better in your life. And I think you just, I mean, I've been racing my whole life. So eventually, you got to stop and create a foundation and, you know, be making money for your family. And so you can go out and, and do these fun, fun things. Well, good for you. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that and your insight and some, uh, past stories from your race career. Uh, are there any sponsors that you'd like to thank or any people that you'd like to shout out? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'd like to thank Ty Lube. Uh, they've been with me for a really long time, been using their products. Um, they've been great. Um, bikes have been holding up with their oil. Uh, those guys have a great, 
brake cleaner actually that is scented. It's the first time I've ever seen a scented brake cleaner, which we go through a lot of brake cleaner and, and spraying all the other brake cleaners out there. You almost get high by the time you're done because they just have such a, a stench to them. So I thought that was pretty cool that, you know, Chad would came up with a scented, you mm. know, brake cleaner. Um, I also got to thank Junior Jackson with FMC Dino Center. Um, he's been really, really good to me and, and helped me progress um, everything all around racing uh, with suspension and motor work and all my, my 450s and, and doing some, some co- cool custom stuff, kind of opening my eyes to things and, and creating connections too in the industry. Um, also got to thank Yamaha. Um, FXR, they've stepped up the last three or four years. They've been awesome. Uh, love their gear. Honestly, not even from a bias standpoint, it's the best fitting gear, looking gear, you know, in my opinion. SSI decals, they've been with us for uh, about three or four years as well. Um, awesome graphics, great people to work with. Um, always got my bikes looking good. Uh, Name brand media, doing a lot of the filming stuff. They got involved more with. Um, some of the AMA stuff and, and creating content and, and helping our sport in general outside of me. So uh, thanks to them. Uh, preferred welder sales. My dad, he does a lot of um, the tinkering and the tinkering over the winter and um, welding stuff up and has all the access to that with his welding uh, company. So that's, that's a huge help to help us, you know, fabricate some new things. You know, a lot of the parts that are on our bikes, we can't just go to the dealership and grab off the shelf and, and make work. So, um, to be creative on that side and be able to do things is, is definitely huge. Um, got to thank Mike metals, CT one filters, Atlas brace, uh, Champlain auto wash, you know, all those guys have, have stepped up and, and definitely made, you know, my racing career easier and, um, doable really. Um, you take these guys all out of the equation and, and we're not going racing on any weekends. So, mm-hmm. um, it's a huge thank you to those guys and you know everyone else that supports me my my whole family that you know allows me to to get away at certain times when when claire and carter can't make it to these races i know it's a lot on them it's a commitment for them so um huge thanks to them and and my family mom and dad and all that so um and then you know thanks to you for putting in all the time that you put into our sport and trying to elevate it and you know, all the other guys that were getting involved and, you know, I think we're going in the right direction. It's, it's still going to be a lot of hard work, but um, I think we're going the right direction. I'm, I'm happy to see things change for the better or at least change to try new things. Uh, I think if we all continue to do the same thing, we're going to get the same results. So it's cool to see, see some change uh, one way or the other. Yeah, no, thank you very much for that, and uh, glad that you're supported by a lot of good companies. But uh, I think I'll let you go now. Thank you very much for you know taking the time out to talk and to share some of your past, and I'll be seeing you here soon in a few days. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's fun to rehash uh, rehash the past, and um, it's, it's good that we're finally going racing here outside of the COVID-19 at the brick mine and, you know, basically get the band back together and go racing and enjoy hanging out racing. No, definitely. I'm, I'm looking forward to it and, uh, you guys drive safe and hopefully I'll have this thing out by the time you guys are there. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Jay. You have a good night. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Thanks for tuning into the Elevated Action Podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes and don't forget to follow the Elevated Action Sports pages on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Have a great day.